This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irrawan by Samuel Butler. Chapter 8 In Prison. And now for the first time my courage completely failed me. It is enough to say that I was penniless and a prisoner in a foreign country where I had no friend nor any knowledge of the customs or language of the people. I was at the mercy of men with whom I had little in common. And yet, engrossed as I was with my extremely difficult and doubtful position, I could not help feeling deeply interested in the people among whom I had fallen. What was the meaning of that room of old machinery which I had just seen, and of the displeasure with which the magistrate had regarded my watch? The people had very little machinery now, I had been struck with this over and over again, though I had not been more than four-and-twenty hours in the country. They were about as far advanced as Europeans of the twelfth or thirteenth century, certainly not more so. And yet they must have had at one time the fullest knowledge of our own most recent inventions. How could it have happened that having been once so far in advance they were now as much behind us? It was evident that it was not from ignorance. They knew my watch as a watch when they saw it, and the care with which the broken machines were preserved and ticketed proved that they had not lost the recollection of their former civilization. The more I thought, the less I could understand it, but at last I concluded that they must have worked out their mines of coal and iron, till either none were left, or so few, that the use of these metals was restricted to the very highest nobility. This was the only solution I could think of, and, though I afterwards found how entirely mistaken I was, I felt quite sure then that it must be the right one. I had hardly arrived at this opinion for above four or five minutes when the door opened, and a young woman made her appearance with a tray and a very appetizing smell of dinner. I gazed upon her with admiration as she laid a cloth and set a savory-looking dish upon the table. As I beheld her, I felt as though my position was already much ameliorated, for the very sight of her carried great comfort. She was not more than twenty, rather above the middle height, active and strong, but yet most delicately featured. Her lips were full and sweet, her eyes were of a deep hazel, and fringed with long and springing eyelashes. Her hair was neatly braided from off her forehead. Her complexion was simply exquisite her figure as robust as was consistent with the most perfect female beauty, yet not more so. Her hands and feet might have served as models to a sculptor. Having set the stew upon the table, she retired with a glance of pity, whereon, remembering pity's kinsman, I decided that she should pity me a little more. She returned with a bottle and a glass and found me sitting on the bed with my hands over my face, looking the very picture of abject misery, and, like all pictures, rather untruthful. As I watched her through my fingers out of the room again, I felt sure that she was exceedingly sorry for me. Her back being turned, I set to work and ate my dinner, which was excellent. She returned in about an hour to take away, and there came with her a man who had a great bunch of keys at his waist, and whose manner convinced me that he was the jailer. I afterwards found that he was father to the beautiful creature who had brought me my dinner. 
I am not a much greater hypocrite than other people, and do what I would, I could not look so very miserable. I had already recovered from my dejection, and felt in a most genial humor both with my jailer and his daughter. I thanked them for all their attention towards me, and, though they could not understand, they looked at one another and laughed and chattered till the old man said something or other which I suppose was a joke, for the girl laughed merrily and ran away leaving her father to take away the dinner things. Then I had another visitor, who was not so prepossessing, and who seemed to have a great idea of himself and a small one of me. He brought a book with him, and pens, and paper, all very English, and yet neither paper, nor printing, nor binding, nor pen, nor ink, were quite the same as ours. He gave me to understand that he was to teach me the language, and that we were to begin it at once. This delighted me, both because I should be more comfortable when I could understand and make myself understood, and because I supposed that the authorities would hardly teach me the language if they intended any cruel usage toward me afterwards. We began at once, and I learnt the names of everything in the room, and also the numerals and personal pronouns. I found to my sorrow the resemblance to European things, which I had so frequently observed hitherto, did not hold good in the matter of language for I could detect no analogy whatever between this and any tongue of which I have the slightest knowledge, a thing which made me think it possible that I might be learning Hebrew. I must detail no longer. From this time my days were spent with a monotony which would have been tedious but for the society of Iram, the jailer's daughter, who had taken a great fancy for me and treated me with the utmost kindness. The man came every day to teach me the language, but my real dictionary and grammar were Iram and I consulted them to such purpose that I made the most extraordinary progress, being able at the end of a month to understand a great deal of the conversation which I overheard between Iram and her father. My teacher professed himself well satisfied, and said he should make a favorable report of me to the authorities. I then questioned him as to what would probably be done with me. He told me that my arrival had caused great excitement throughout the country, and that I was to be detained a close prisoner until the receipt of advices from the government. My having had a watch, he said, was the only damaging feature in the case, and then, in answer to my asking why this should be so, he gave me a long story of which with my imperfect knowledge of the language I could make nothing whatever, except that it was a very heinous offense, almost as bad, at least so I thought I understood him, as having typhus fever, but he said he thought my light hair would save me. I was allowed to walk in the garden. There was a high wall so that I managed to play a sort of hand-fives which prevented my feeling the bad effects of my confinement, though it was stupid work playing alone. In the course of time people from the town and neighborhood began to pester the jailer to be allowed to see me, and on receiving handsome fees he let them do so. The people were good to me, almost too good, for they were inclined to make a lion of me, which I hated. At least the women were. Only they had to beware of Iram, who was a young lady of a jealous temperament, and kept a sharp eye both on me and on my lady visitors. However, I felt so kindly towards her, and was so entirely dependent upon her for almost all that made my life a blessing and a comfort to me, that I took good care not to vex her, and we remained excellent friends. The men were far less inquisitive, and would not, I believe, have come near me of their own accord, but the women made them come as escorts. I was delighted with their handsome mien and pleasant, genial manners. My food was plain but always varied and wholesome, and the good red wine was admirable. 
I had found a sort of wart in the garden, which I sweated in heaps and then dried, obtaining thus a substitute for tobacco, so that what with Iram, the language, visitors, fives in the garden, smoking, and bed, my time slipped by more rapidly and pleasantly than might have been expected. I also made myself a small flute, and being a tolerable player, amused myself at times with playing snatches from operas and airs such as Aware and Aware and Home Sweet Home. This was of great advantage to me, for the people of the country were ignorant of the diatonic scale and could hardly believe their ears on hearing some of our most common melodies. Often, too, they would make me sing, and I could at any time make Iram's eyes swim with tears by singing Wilkins and his Dinah, Billy Taylor, the Ratcatcher's Daughter, or as much of them as I could remember. I had one or two discussions with them because I never would sing on Sunday, of which I kept count in my pocket-book, except chants and hem-tunes. Of these I regret to say that I had forgotten the words so that I could only sing the tune. They appeared to have little or no religious feeling, and to have never so much as heard of the divine institution of the Sabbath, so they ascribed my observance of it to a fit of sulkiness, which they remarked as coming over me upon every seventh day. But they were very tolerant, and one of them said to me quite kindly that she knew how impossible it was to help being sulky at times, only she thought I ought to see someone if it became more serious, a piece of advice which I then failed to understand, though I pretended to take it quite as a matter of course. Only once did Iram treat me in a way that was unkind and unreasonable, at least so I thought at the time. It happened thus. I had been playing fives in the garden and got much heated. Although the day was cold, for autumn was now advancing, and Cold Harbor, as the name of the town in which my prison was, should be translated, stood fully three thousand feet above the sea, I had played without my coat and waistcoat and took a sharp chill on resting myself too long in the open air without protection. The next day I had a severe cold and felt really poorly. Being little used even to the lightest ailments, and thinking that it would be rather nice to be petted and cosseted by Iram, I certainly did not make myself out to be any better than I was. In fact, I remember that I made the worst of things, and took it into my head to consider myself upon the sick list. When Iram brought me my breakfast, I complained somewhat dolefully of my indisposition, expecting the sympathy and humoring which I should have received from my mother and sisters at home. Not a bit of it. She fired up in an instant and asked me what I meant by it, and how I dared to presume to mention such a thing, especially when I considered in what place I was. She had the best mind to tell her father, only that she was afraid the consequences would be so very serious for me. Her manner was so injured and decided, and her anger so evidently unfeigned, that I forgot my cold upon the spot, begging her by all means to tell her father if she wished to do so, and telling her that I had no idea of being shielded by her from anything whatever. Presently mollifying, after having said as many biting things as I could, I asked her what it was that I had done amiss, and promised amendment as soon as ever I became aware of it. She saw that I was really ignorant, and had had no intention of being rude to her, whereon it came out that illness of any sort was considered in Irawan to be highly criminal and immoral, and that I was liable, even for catching cold, to be had up before the magistrates and imprisoned for a considerable period, an announcement which struck me dumb with astonishment. I followed up the conversation as well as my imperfect knowledge of the language would allow, and caught a glimmering of her position with regard to ill health, but I did not even then fully comprehend it, 
nor had I as yet any idea of the other extraordinary perversions of thought which existed among the Erewhonians, but with which I was soon to become familiar. I proposed, therefore, to make no mention of what passed between us on this occasion, save that we were reconciled, and that she brought me surreptitiously a hot glass of spirits and water before I went to bed, as also a pile of extra blankets, and that next morning I was quite well. I never remember to have lost a cold so rapidly. This little affair explained much of what had hitherto puzzled me. It seemed that the two men who were examined before the magistrates on the day of my arrival in the country had been given in charge on account of ill health, and were both condemned to a long term of imprisonment with hard labor. They were now expiating their offense in this very prison, and their exercise ground was a yard separated by my fives wall from the garden in which I walked. This accounted for the sounds of coughing and groaning which I had often noticed as coming from the other side of the wall. It was high, and I had not dared to climb it, for fear the jailer should see me and think that I was trying to escape. But I had often wondered what sort of people could be on the other side, and had resolved on asking the jailer, but I seldom saw him, and Iram and I generally found other things to talk about. Another month flew by, during which I made such progress in the language that I could understand all that was said to me, and express myself with tolerable fluency. My instructor professed to be astonished with the progress I had made. I was careful to attribute it to the pains he had taken with me, and to his admirable method of explaining my difficulties. So we became excellent friends. My visitors became more and more frequent. Among them there were some, both men and women, who delighted me entirely by their simplicity, unconsciousness of self, kindly genial manners, and last, but not least, by their exquisite beauty. There came others less well-bred, but still comely and agreeable people, while some were snobs, pure and simple. At the end of the third month the jailer and my instructor came together to visit me and told me that communications had been received from the government to the effect that if I had behaved well, and seemed generally reasonable, and if there could be no suspicion at all about my bodily health and vigor, and if my hair was really light, and my eyes blue and complexion fresh, I was to be sent up at once to the metropolis in order that the king and queen might see me and converse with me, but that when I arrived there I should be set at liberty, and a suitable allowance would be made me. My teacher also told me that one of the leading merchants had sent me an invitation to repair to his house and to consider myself his guest for as long a time as I chose. He is a delightful man, continued the interpreter, but has suffered terribly from— here came a long word which I could not quite catch, only it was much longer than kleptomania, and has but lately recovered from embezzling a large sum of money under singularly distressing circumstances, but he has quite got over it, and the straighteners say that he has made a really wonderful recovery. You are sure to like him. End of chapter 8